I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. Welcome to Marketing Today. I'm your host, Alan Hart, managing partner of Atomic, combining brand science and creative fire. Today on the show, I've got Rohit Bhargava. Rohit's a trend curator and the author of Non-Obvious, How to Think Different, Curate Ideas, and Predict the Future. He's also written other books like Lycanomics. Today on the show, we're going to hear from Rohit trends from his latest 2017 book and where he thinks marketing is headed. So Rohit, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. I know your latest book is the 2017 edition of Non-Obvious, and the subtitle is How to Think Different, Curate Ideas, and Predict the Future. Curious, you know, what non-obvious means. Yeah, so how's that for a big promise in a subtitle of a book, How to Predict (laughs) the Future, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, the the title was uh, inspired by me as a as a marketing guy being surrounded by lots of obvious ideas, or what I thought were obvious ideas. And so what I wanted to write about was, what does it take to have ideas that are not those ideas, that are non-obvious, that are things that most people don't see because they don't spend the time to make the connections between ideas or between industries. So that was kind of what inspired the title. And if you don't mind for a minute, just take an aside and tell me a little bit about your background for the listeners. Yeah, sure. So I was, uh, I started my career kind of as a, um, as a writer. And so I wanted to be a screenwriter, and so I used to do a lot of that. I graduated with an English degree, and so eventually I kind of made my way into the world of marketing because it's so much about communications, and there's so much writing in marketing. So I started in the agency world uh, back in 2000. I got my first job at Leo Burnett in Australia. I was living in Sydney at the time. Worked there for a couple of years. Uh, then I worked at Ogilvy for about eight years and helped to start their first uh, group 
focused on digital and social media. Uh, so I was there for a while and then I moved into more of a brand strategy role and I was doing all kinds of uh, pitching and traveling around the world. Um, and eventually I kind of decided I wanted to do that, do some of that for myself. Um, and so I started my own first company uh, three years ago, which was a consulting group. And then since then I've started two other companies. So I've kind of embraced being an entrepreneur uh, wholeheartedly uh, since then. So do you consider yourself um, an ad guy or a consultant? Uh, not really. I mean, I think at, at this point, I'd probably consider myself more of a uh, innovation and strategy guy more than anything else. Um, though I do love the idea of brand messaging, and I spent a lot of time doing that. So I was never really, I worked in ad agencies, but I was never really on the traditional advertising side. I was always part of the the group within the ad agency that was doing something new. Now, your books are slam-packed full of trends. And I was hoping would it, if it'd be all right, we could share a couple of those. Yeah, of course. The one that was top of mind as I read through the list of new trends of this for 2017 was fierce femininity. Personally, I'm a product of exceptionally strong women in my life. My, my grandmother, my mother, mother um, not to mention my wife and my daughter now. So I'm curious what, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what is fierce femininity? Fierce femininity for, for me was a really interesting evolution of a trend that I wrote about three years ago, which I'd called at that time Powered by Women. Powered by Women as a trend uh, was really about b women taking more leading roles in business. And that was kind of a, a one-dimensional a little bit. And Fierce Femininity was a chance for me to write about something that was much more broad taking place, where if you look at the world of music and musical artists and the lyrics and songs, or if you look at Hollywood, uh, or if you look at advertising campaigns, or even comic books, I mean, there's so many examples of women who are no longer the, the princesses in towers waiting to be rescued. I mean, these are women who are, you know, kicking ass and saving the boy in the process. <laughs> Uh, and I just thought it was such an interesting uh, shift because now this is not just, uh, you know, let's have a, a female CEO or let's put more women on the board, which has been kind of happening for some time now. This was something that's much more in culture, uh, which I thought was a really powerful thing because you know, this is what girls are, are growing up seeing. I mean, it's it's a welcome change. I'm hoping that we achieve kind of what you're describing there. And, you know, obviously it is it is a trend that's taking place, but I'd love to see more of it personally. You know, as a brand strategist myself, I, I couldn't help but notice the lovable unperfection uh, trend that you talk about as it relates to brands and how yep. imperfection can be a source of strength. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting one because uh, we spend so much time generally when it comes to thinking about launching something or putting something out there in the world that we want things to be perfect. And we spend a lot of time, you know, there's entire processes. If you look at like the history of, of business and six Sigma processes and like removing flaws and like, that's just part of our business culture and has been for a long time. But now if you look at uh, brands that are really winning by being more authentic and by being more human, they have unperfection, you know, it's that nobody would stop and look at the uh, Tower of Pisa as much if it weren't leaning. And I think that there's an element of that when it comes to brands that have these little flaws built in. I mean, you look at Crocs or Uggs or any of these kind of shoe brands, which are not beautiful products, 
Uh, but people love them because they're ugly. I mean, when I lived in Australia, the slang word for ugly was Uggs. So they've named their product after <laughs> the, you know, the design concept that they're going for, and it works for them. <laughs> so true. Another one, you know, recently I was, I talked to a bunch of marketers and, and thought leaders like yourself, and I was talking to Peter Horst, who's recently a CMO of Hershey, and uh, before that he was at Capital One, describing this need for humanity in creativity. Um, and I think it was in response to talking about digital transformation and things like that. But I noticed one of your trends around self-aware data that you highlighted. You know, what? Tell us about that, because I saw a bit of a conflict with, with kind of what Peter was describing. Yeah, self-aware data, I knew when, I, so I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, how I'm going to, to title the trends, because to me, it's an act of branding, right? I mean, I'm trying mm -hmm. to put an idea out there with a way to describe it that will immediately cause people to want to pay attention and know more about it. And self-aware data was a very intentionally chosen way of describing this trend because on one level, it's really scary, right? I mean, anytime you talk about technology getting self-aware in any way, uh, it's a scary thing. But self-aware data was a way of describing the fact that there's more and more uh, things happening in technology where data is making choices for us in a way that is designed to hopefully be optimal. Um, so it's helping to automatically decide where to water crops when it comes to the farming industry, or it's automatically deciding where to move investments based on certain parameters when it comes to robo-advisors in the financial industry. And so the challenge is more and more as companies and even as individual consumers in a world where this data can automatically make choices for us, how intentional do we need to be about the lessons that we learn from that or the parameters we give to data. I mean, a perfect example of that is most of us will consume news served up to us based on algorithms or recommendations from Facebook and social media platforms that those platforms think we're going to like. So what ends up happening is we just read news that we agree with and we don't really branch out from that and we all have tunnel vision and then we all hate everybody who doesn't agree with us. And that's kind of what's happened in the world if you just right. look around. Right. And so the only solution to that is that we have to individually become more aware of that and say, look, I'm going to choose to read things that are outside of my little narrow view, because if I don't, then I'm just going to keep having that same tunnel vision and not understand anyone who doesn't think exactly like I think. Do you see this trend as being a commentary on the function of data science or more of a more of the implications on human beings and how we are going to, to look at the data that we we ingest. I think it's I think it's both sided. I mean so many of the trends when I when I end up uncovering them and, and describing them, one of the things that I'm often asked about is, well, you know, this sounds really scary and bad. <laughs> um, and what I tell people is I say, look, I'm describing something that's happening in the world and all of my trends are based on something that's happening now. So I specifically don't do like 10 year predictions. I mean, my trend report comes out every year with 15 new trends. And the reason why I do it on such a short term is because I'm really describing the accelerating present. I'm not necessarily saying this will happen, but hasn't happened yet. You know, this is not flying cars that are controlled by your mind. Um, this is like, you know, stuff that's happening right now that's going to accelerate in the next year and therefore really matter for your business in terms of understanding it. 
Uh, but that doesn't mean every one of these has uh, perfectly optimistic or positive implications. I mean, some of them, you know, could have slightly negative implications as well. And so we have to be able to deal with that. Interesting. One other trend that caught my eye as I was going through the list was this notion of precious print. Um, and it seemed counterintuitive at first, you know, this increasing value of print itself. But yet, for some reason in my gut, it just kind of felt right. And I have no idea why, other than the fact I carry around a moleskin notebook everywhere I go. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. The, the notebook thing is actually an element of, uh, of that trend and something I wrote about, which is so many people um, prefer notebooks and the physical note-taking uh, and this is not an age-based thing. It's not like old people take notes on paper. I, pre and young I appreciate people. that. Not, yeah, that I do old. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was uh, I was feeling a little bad about that, right, myself. <laughs> um, but you know, the thing is with uh, with precious print. I mean, the best way I can describe it is um, we don't really print out our photos anymore, right? I mean, we take tons of photos on the phone. Um, we then upload them when our phone is full and we're like desperate to get more room on our phone. Then we finally like upload them to a computer and then they just sit there somewhere and they kind of vanish. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But if you do print out a photo, um, that one photo that you did print out is precious. I mean, that's an important photo. That's why you printed it out in the first place. And so if you think about the way we treat the physical things that we have because of so much digital stuff in our lives, when something is physical for us, it's more important to us. And that's kind of the genesis of this idea of precious print, that because everything's so digital, when we get something in print, it matters. So you publish this book of trends each year, adding 15 new each time you go. Um, you know, how should marketers be looking at the world differently, either to observe these things themselves or to understand the trends that are right in front of us? Yeah, so one of my, uh, one of my firm beliefs around this practice of predicting trends is that anyone can learn how to do it, that it just takes the right habits and the right skills. And so I spend a lot of time actually uh, traveling around the world teaching people how to do this because a lot of times when you look at work done by futurists or people who are predicting the future, it's very much a, uh, this is my research, this is what the future is going to be, and you listen to me because I'm the expert. And that's not really my approach. I mean, I have trends and I have my own research and I talk about those and how you can use them, but that's only really half the book. Um, and the other half of the book is all about what are the tips and techniques 
that I use that anyone can learn how to use in order to be able to do this for themselves. And that's a really important distinction for me because what it says is this is not something that's just the domain of certain experts who have studied this for their entire careers. This is based on habits and things that any of us can learn how to do. Yeah, I don't want you to give away the keys to the kingdom, but at the same time, is there anything you can share in terms of a, a tip or a specific type of practice you, you talk to others about? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind sharing the whole thing. I mean, the more, the more it gets out there, the better it is. So it's, uh, it's not a secret. Um, uh, you know, for me, there's, there's two things I talk about. One is that I mentioned that there's five habits that anyone can learn how to use in order to be what I call a trend curator. And I specifically talk about this term of curation because I use that in my practice. So curation in the sense of finding ideas, gathering them, and then seeing the connections between the ideas is what I spend most of my time doing when it comes to this. I don't believe in the idea of trend spotting because I think when you say trend spotting, what you what most people mean is, oh, I can just see something out there and I spot it and it's a trend. And actually what I think happens in real life is your idea spotting and you spot a cool idea, but in order to make it into a trend, it has to be connected to other ideas in other places. And that's what makes it a trend. And so that's the difference between trend curation and trend spotting. And when I talk about the habits, there's, there's kind of five key habits that I talk about. One is being observant. Um, so seeing what other people miss. When I talk about being curious, which is asking the right questions and getting outside of your own mindset as much as you can. The third one is being fickle. So learning to move on, not dwelling on one idea for, for a really long time, but being willing to capture it, save it, and move to the next. The fourth is being thoughtful, which is taking time to think and make the connections between ideas. And the fifth is being elegant. And being elegant to me is all about crafting beautiful ideas, using simplicity, saying things with just enough words and, and not too many. I love those five keys. So if I step back for a moment, you've shared a lot for us to think about in terms of how to identify trends that are emerging. As I think about you, um, I mean, you've done a lot in your career already. I know you've got a long way to go probably, but what drives you? You've been a consultant and agency executive and now an author, speaker and consultant. And what, what fuels your success or what drives you? So I spent a lot of time uh, first early in my career trying to be the guy, you know, being the expert. <laughs> and then kind of a little bit later in my, in my career, being the expert and being the one that was in the room where people would ask for advice and you'd have the answer. And that's a really uh, great feeling to be able to sit in a room and say, you know, I have the answer and here's the answer. You, know, you want my expertise, you're paying for my expertise, right? Because they're paying for the time and here's what you should do. And it took me until very recently to realize that there's an even more powerful thing than that, which is being in a position to teach other people to come up with the answer themselves. And so now when I teach, I teach a class at Georgetown uh, University, and I spend a lot of time actually teaching these principles to organizations. So I get my time to be an expert because I'm still doing the keynote speaking. And so you're, you know, you're up there for 45 minutes and you're, you're the expert because you're up there. Um, but I really love and what's fueling my passion right now is, is this idea that I can teach people how to see the world a little bit differently. 
And in doing so, they can not only come up with better ideas for doing what they do at work, they can come up with a better vision for themselves to do what they want to do, um, whether it's making their entrepreneurial idea a success or just being more entrepreneurial within the role that they have at a large company. So that's what makes me uh, really excited right now. If you are thinking about companies or brands out in the marketplace, I'm curious, you know, um, which ones do you take notice of um, or you think others should take notice of? Oh, so this is a big question because I have hundreds of brands that I encounter when it comes to the research. And, you know, I was going to actually in the latest book, I was going to um, do a appendix of all the brands that were mentioned in the book. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm still working on, I may do it like as a digital add-on, but I think it was like, uh, you know, 80 or 90 different companies. Wow. So there's quite a lot of brands that I encounter for many different reasons. Um one that uh, many of your listeners may not be familiar with, but that I absolutely love is a brand out of the UK called Innocent Drinks. And they're one of my favorites because I wrote about them way back when I did my first book almost 10 years ago, which was all about why brands need to have a personality and be more authentic. And it was called Personality Not Included. And I wrote about this company, Innocent Drinks, because they were making smoothies and that's their business. And that's why it's innocent drinks because they don't have any additives or anything like that. But the way that they communicate is just so beautifully British um, in a way that, uh, that just brings their personality to life. I mean, a perfect example is they have this carton um, kind of like an orange juice carton and they sell the smoothies in that and it's in the grocery store. And if you look at the bottom of the carton, it says, stop looking at my bottom. (laughs) Which is just like such a perfectly British witty way of saying, uh, you know, of saying something about the brand personality. And I just love that. Like the small details, right, are what get me like really um, interested in a brand, a brand that pays attention to those kinds of details. I love that. Oh, that's a great example. You've been, you're identifying these trends, you're writing about these trends. I'm curious to get your predictions for the marketing function itself. Um, where do you think marketing um, is going to go in the future? Yeah, so when I started doing trend predictions seven years ago, um, and I did my first report, uh, all 15 trends were marketing and social media trends. And since then, I've kind of broadened my thinking. And so now every trend report has five different categories of trends, and there's three trends each. And so culture and consumer behavior, economics and entrepreneurship, media and education, um, tech and design, those are all categories. And then marketing and social media is, is one of the categories. So I'll just share like one of the trends from the marketing and social media uh, section of the book. Sure. Um, that I think was is going to be really impactful this year. And it's something that I termed passive loyalty. And passive loyalty to me was it really inspired by uh, things like the Amazon Dash button um, coming up and saying that, okay, if I give you a bounty paper towel button in your home, then anytime you need paper towels, you're just going to press that button and you're going to get a bounty paper towel, which means that you're loyal to bounty. But does it really? Uh, or does it just mean that you've made it more convenient for me to buy that one type of paper towel. And obviously I think we know the answer. I mean, it's convenience. And so what it got me thinking about was when brands describe their customers as loyal or when they do their um, NPS scores, or when they kind of take any of this data and they say, Oh, we've got loyal customers and we've got, you know, occasional customers. 
are the customers they describe as loyal really loyal or are they just loyal out of habit or convenience or discount pricing? And it led me to this idea that we need to get much better about understanding which of our customers are actually loyal, the ones who would never switch, and the ones who are just loyal for the moment, but as soon as something better comes along, they're gone. And if we can get better at understanding that as marketers and as business people, then we can get better about moving people along that continuum from being passively loyal to being actively loyal. And I don't know many companies that invest a lot of time and effort in thinking about that. Um, They certainly think about customer loyalty. But when it comes to moving them around a continuum of loyalty, um, that's not really a concept that that many companies are thinking about right now. Thank you for coming on to the show today. I think you shared a lot of, um, of great nuggets for people to take away. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.